0: Before I begin, let's bow our heads in prayer. I invite the Holy Spirit to guide us and to speak to us. O Holy Spirit, we invite you to come, to be in our midst, to guide us, to teach us. That through your inspiration, you who inspired the prophets, and the apostles, to give us these words of wisdom. Use it, therefore, to shape our hearts, our thoughts, to transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our people, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Title today sharing a uh, transform to love sincerely and genuinely and in a way it is a continuation in our reading through uh, the book of romans uh, for those of you who are maybe new to our congregation if you open our bulletin in the middle of the bulletin there is a sermon outline and on the right there's a column there that's been uh, sharing this is what the church has been reading through one chapter a day And so we're now at this point uh, where we have just crossed over Romans uh, chapter 12. But if you recall in Romans chapter 8, one of the things that Paul says is that we have this body uh, that is uh, prone to sin in the flesh, but indwelling in us is the Spirit of God that has set us free from captivity to sin and death. And one of the pictures I showed there was uh, of this uh, tension that is going on within us where the spirit desires that we pursue God's uh, righteous commandments, uh, but the flesh still wants us to pursue the other direction. And what Paul tells us, uh, releases us in order to be more and more like Christ, is this transformation of our inner being, our inner man, And in particular, when he arrives at Romans chapter 12, he talks about this uh, point where we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It is not just uh, a way of managing how we think, but it is a spiritual activity where with this inner man, this uh, spirit of God in us, it is transforming the way that we think. Uh, Let me read that verse Uh, We can read that from your text or you can read it from up there. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. uh, In our older NIV versions, you'll see it as, therefore, I urge you, brothers. But the actual Greek word there is adelphon. Adelphon actually covers both brothers and sisters. So it's uh, addressed to everyone. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it's not a response that you do this as an offering of your body because uh paul asked for it or because some famous person does it but it's because of god's mercy and he has spoken from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 12 how god through his mercy has sent his son and revealed uh, the gospel of salvation through our lord jesus the righteousness of god is revealed but at the same time the wrath of god is also revealed and so because of god's mercy what god has done we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, most sacrifices are dead. You know, when you, in uh, our know, culture, when we think about sacrifices, you put a dead chicken, you put a dead uh, a dead cow, you know, most sacrifices are dead. But what Paul is referring is not so much for us to go and start sacrificing ourselves on an altar, lying down there and say, okay, I'm going to, to offer myself. No, he's, talking symbolically of an offering of your life where you're still living and how you live is that offering. And so it's important for us to understand how as Christians now, how do we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice because this exercise is true and proper worship. What is true and proper worship? What is worship? Worship is when you give weight when you give worth to someone, it comes from an old English word called worth skip. Worth skip is to give worth to someone. So when uh, when people pay a huge amount of money to go and watch a, a movie, Endgame, or if they pay a lot of money to watch a concert or a Barry Manilow concert, for example, when they give all this money and they go wild at this, that is a form of worship. You are giving worth to someone by giving them value. And so, when we understand this, this act of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, as a holy sacrifice, and a pleasing sacrifice to God, this is our true and proper worship. Which therefore means that worship doesn't just happen on Sunday, in a Sunday service. It doesn't mean that worship happens when a song leader comes up and says, let's praise and worship now, only that portion. No, it is your entire life. It is a holy and pleasing uh, living sacrifice. And as you have heard before, the problem with living sacrifices is that they can crawl off the altar. They avoid uh, the actions that basically is holy, living, uh, sacrifice. Now, what's an example of a holy and living and pleasing sacrifice? Well, for me, an example, particularly because it's BB uh, and Roman Sunday, I consider it that when our officers, both men and women, commit their time as living sacrifices, they go there and they commit their time on Sundays uh, or even on weekdays. You know, yesterday I was here when uh, when the youth had their... The boys, uh, uh, the BB, had their practice for Sunday. Uh, a couple of the officers were also here with them. They didn't need to be here, but they were here because uh, the kids were here. That's a living sacrifice because they could have spent time at home, uh, doing their own dinner or having a you know Saturday night party or so forth. But it's a living sacrifice to actually offer that up because it's pleasing. And is holy what is holy to be set aside for god this is true and proper worship so do not conform to the pattern of this world this world will tell you hey come lah. i had a friend who uh, last time he used to say we had our small group meetings on friday and his difficult pattern was on friday all his sales friends would be going out for uh, for parties but he was stuck therefore having to effectively uh, decide, do I go for a small group meeting or do I go out and hang out with my friends? Conforming to the pattern of the world would mean go out, la, party, go drinking, go to the disco, uh, enjoy yourself, get more sales. But he decided to come for the small group party. And in so doing, he committed to that and he was transformed. Because at the small group, we talked about God's word. We we talked about what is really truly from God as opposed to what is from this world. And Pauline says, when you do this, the renewing of your mind will enable you to test (coughs) and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I just got a side note here to ask car owner PNP 7008, can you please remove your car? PNP 7008, if you happen to. Now, moving on. Uh, What does that therefore mean to us when you look at verse 1 and verse 2? What it says is uh, how we think, what we understand, and how we communicate affects one, our behavior, our outward actions, and also our relationships. This is quite important how we think, how we understand, and how we communicate. But the ability to change that is something which requires God's help. You know, when a person has decided this is how I will always be, it's almost impossible for him to change it unless a higher authority changes it. You know, uh, example. If I tell my children, don't do this, But when they go to school and their teacher says do this then they have a choice which one to listen to the question is who has higher authority ever encountered that before i have realized that when i sent my children to a chinese school the teacher had higher authority than the parents (laughs) and it took a long time for me to say no this is not the way you need to think And this is not the way you understand how things are supposed to be done. I am your father. Listen to me. And I then had to teach him how to communicate to others what was going on in his mind. He had, you know, both both of them had to process things. So then the question is, who is the highest authority that can tell us how we ought to think, understand things, and communicate what is going on with us. Is it you yourself, or is it others that that you listen to, your gang members, or your superiors who tell you, okay, you must give this bribe in order to get this particular job, you must take out to the client to go and do whatever they want, buy them a bottle of whiskey or whatever. Do you listen to these authorities, superiors, or are you going to be transform to listen to what god calls you to do and the only way this transformation occurs is when we offer ourselves up to god dear lord my thinking is flawed my thinking is so inbuilt to listen to my fleshly desires i need you to transform my thinking it's an offering up that's the moment you see a sacrifice does that it is uh, tied up and it is surrendered to what the person wants to do, the God that is receiving this offering. Again, it is symbolic. It's not meant literally that you tie yourself up and you, 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 you do harm to yourself. No, it is an offering up to a benevolent, loving God who wants to help you to change the way you think. This word uh, that is used there, to be transformed, is this word metamorphose it comes uh, very similarly when we understand the metamorphosis that a uh, caterpillar turns into a pupa, which eventually turns into the butterfly. Now, the word meta, morphe, metamorph, meta is big. Okay? In the Greek word, meta is big. Morphe, change. It is a huge change. And so from a caterpillar, suddenly you now have wings becoming a butterfly is this whole idea of a major change that is occurring. Now, I need to ask you, as a Christian, at the moment when you became a Christian and day by day, is this metamorphosis happening? Is this transformation continuing to happen? Or is it a little bit, little bit, you know, over 20 years your wife or your husband will say, "Eh, no change (laughs) one, same old, same old. Then maybe we need to surrender ourselves to what God wants us uh, to do, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, this transformation is not a conformance. uh, And As you can see in that particular picture, you have a man there who is wrapped out by the way of the world. But through this transformation of the word in his mind, he is being changed. And through this transformation, he now leaves that cocoon. So have you ever realized that in Paul's explanation of this, your inner man is being transformed by the infilling of the word of God, uh, by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, by the work of God's uh, agents in the world to change you. And therefore, when you finally leave this cocoon, you are transformed to be who you are truly called to be into the likeness of our Lord Jesus. Paul continues in his argument, For by the grace given me, say, I, to, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Don't have a puffed up opinion about yourself, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, um, I think Asian culture this is very common. Uh, that when somebody compliments you, you say, no la. <laughs> say. say you go to a woman and say, your hair is so beautiful. Say, no la. <laughs> Yours better. <laughs> uh, and I've had children who have suffered that. You know, you go to your you go to a mother and you say, Your children is so bright. I say, no, that's stupid fellow. <laughs> yours better. Now, that is a form of false humility. It's false. But worse still, it is not sober judgment. Sober judgment is, you know, you're not drunk in the sense that you have an inflated Hyperinflated or super-deflated idea of yourself. Now, sober judgment means accurate, real. So, an accurate judgment about myself is that I am a sinner redeemed by Christ who occasionally falls. Terrible when I fall. It's very terrible when I fall. Sin is still working in me. And so I do sometimes things that are regrettable, sometimes downright painful. For myself that's sober but i'm also reminded that I, in spite of all that i am a child of god that the spirit of god is working in me that i will be transformed in due time that he who began a good work with me will see it to completion and that the day when you finally see me reveal for who i truly am you will stand back it's like wow god has done a marvelous thing god not me And so that sober, it reminds me that I'm a child of God, I'm adopted, that I have a crown of glory, but it also tells me that I'm a work in progress and where I am right now. You need to do that for yourself. You need to do that for your children. And it's quite important. Time and again, I have been a counsellor for all our youth camps. Some of the children come to me and say, I feel like nobody cares my parents don't want me I was an accident my parents don't love me or worse still they say it's because of me that our parents broke up and got divorced it's because of me it's this um, super deflated right that's one side then the other side the super inflated one this guy is like I am invincible I can do whatever I want I am almost like a, a Thanos in this world you know a super god and it's not sober. But in all this he says do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Okay? Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith of God that God has distributed to each of you. Now, uh, verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have all the same function, uh, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that a lovely statement? We are all different. We all have different functions, but we are all one. One body. It's a lovely thought until you realize that, you know, in order for the body to function, sometimes the parts are supposed to uh, function in opposite action to each other. For me to be able to uh, do this, opposing muscles are working. In order for my insulin level in the body to work, opposing opposing hormones are at work. Too much uh, sugar in my body, insulin comes out. Too little sugar, uh, something else happens. Now, the problem with how we work is if you are opposed to me, you are my enemy. I don't like you. I build up something, you tear it down. (laughs) I don't like that. So for us to understand this, Paul causes when we work together in a unity, when you do what you're supposed to do and he does what he's supposed to do, it is good. But just because we are working in opposition to each other doesn't mean that it's not good. So we, though many form one body. Now I like to also continue when he says this. He also goes on to say, we have different gifts, this is verse 6, different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. So anybody uh, here, gift or giving? (laughs) Give generously. (laughs) In all that we do, Paul is saying, as the body is called to function, function in how you are called to function. And do it with fervor. Don't hold back. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. Diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. How many of us, when we show mercy, we do it cheerfully? When you do mercy, do you do it cheerfully? When do you exercise mercy? Mercy is given when uh, offense has been taken and you are rightfully in, have been wronged. So for example, when someone hits my car and he's in the wrong, to give, to, to, to do mercy is to forgive, right? And to not hold it against the other person do you do that cheerfully and therefore do you know how therefore your mind needs to be transformed some of us don't do it uh, cheerfully we do it like oh man pastor just spoke about this this morning Cannot accident must forgive that's not cheerful So this transformation in the heart needs to occur. It's not something you can train your mind to do. It's something which God has to do in all of us. So my question to us in response to what Paul is saying, how do we think about ourselves or each other? See, when we think ourselves too highly over others, or when we do not have a sober judgment, we are thinking primarily about ourselves. I'm great for this uh, I'm too sexy for this I'm too wonderful and too powerful for this some of the signs of humility we have encountered in my life uh, when we enter into seminary uh, one of the seminaries there a uh, person said coming into seminary family life has been very amazing said, why? he said uh, this guy I met he's the CEO, managing director of a group of companies and he is now coming into seminary Uh, and one of the activities we do is community life is to clean toilets this guy has a company 500 staff multiple companies he goes he cleans the toilet he takes a toothbrush and he basically washes the toilet and this guy says this is a picture of christian life that we don't think ourselves too high that we cannot serve each other So here's Paul's point. If you think too highly of yourself, or if you don't think of yourself with sober judgment, you are always thinking about yourself. I'm too high, I'm too low, it's me. But what instead he says, is think about each other. Consider yourself with humility. In other words, don't think too high. What is humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less often about yourself. It's not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often, I would say. It's with sober judgement, and most importantly, in service to each other. So your question shouldn't be, should I or should I not do this because of my position? The question is, do I have the ability to serve each another? do I have the ability to service others? Number one, classic one, when I see this, uh, we, we see this quite often uh, in Malaysia. We go to McDonald's, and uh, or you go to any particular restaurant, you've eaten your food, you pile of rubbish there, and you see other rubbish everywhere. And then you ask yourself, uh, how come uh, nobody is coming here to clean up? How come nobody's coming here to clean up? You expect somebody else to do this. But I've encountered cultures right where they clean up. I've met Japanese people. I met Korean people. Uh, the Japanese team after the recent World Cup cleaned up their their what do you call it, their area, cleaner than when it was earlier on, and left a thank you message. Do we consider ourselves as part of the solution to serve each other so what's the thought in this whole family body life it's not about if i am the head therefore i can only do these things Uh, no it is sometimes asking we need each other and we can help each other we have a role to play so what is your role in church And mind you, you might think that your role is very small but it's an important role. Many of us have encountered pain before, toothache, tendon problem, finger problem, any of these small things. But you realise that when one small part gets affected, the whole body cannot function. The same goes for the church. When each member isn't doing what they are called to do, what God has called them to do, then the body suffers. And it is not for us to say, hmm, uh, someone else should be doing it even though I can do this. Uh, We're called to discern with sober judgment. Do I need to do this? Can someone else do this? How, oh Lord, do you change me to work this out? Verse 9 love must be sincere hate what is evil cling to what is good now uh, if you're reading this particular passage uh, verse 9 to 13 is one paragraph by itself it's one whole sentence okay it's one whole sentence in the greek and although the english translates it it breaks it up into several sentences it's actually in the greek grammar one whole sentence so love must be sincere hate what is evil. If you were to ask, what is the theme of verse 9 to 13, love must be sincere. What is a sincere love? And what does it mean to hate what is evil and cling to what is good? Uh, We just read that. Uh, Love must be sincere. And then verse 10 to 13 are examples of what sincere love looks like. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another in love above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Example about this, right? Have, have you ever considered what does devotion look like? Have you seen devotion at work? In my ministry as a pastor, I'm privileged to see this. Elderly couples still taking care of each other. People with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, uh, body body breaking down in various different parts. Or even in my young age in my 30s met friends whose husband met with a uh, cancer or accident and their devotion to each other is caring for each other now now what that means therefore is this devotion is a example of true love sincere love and so for us to understand this particular idea is uh, to love sincerely is this word anupokritos Anupokritos is uh, 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 Hippo, Hippocritos is hypocrite, right? Hypocrite is the word that Jesus used to say, "You hypocrites." But the Greeks understood hypocrite as people who use mask in a play. So when you are at a Greek drama and the way they used to have the dramas, they put on a mask to present a particular face. You could be grimacing or laughing or whatever underneath that mask, but that mask is what other people see. So a hypocrite is one who puts on a mask. And therefore, to not love sincerely is to love with a mask on. Pretend that this is what you are feeling. So to love sincerely without hypocrisy, without an exter's mask, uh, genuine, not fake, real, what you do, what you feel, same. And so this is a form of authentic love. Okay? Uh, if, you, if you see this bottle as a person who is filled with unhypocritical love, he's also one who abhors what is evil. Okay? So this person uh, does all these things. He's, he's got this sincere, true, uh, transparent love that you see in his ability. Then he says bless those who persecute you bless do not curse so the person who is uh, filled with sincere love is now called to pour out to bless okay, to pour out and so the actions of a person who is a sincerely loving person is one who will bless those who persecute you now i say this in, uh, important for us huh? christians your distinctive is that you are called to bless those who persecute you. Now, you might be nodding, uh, uh, okay, yeah. But it takes a transformation of your mind and your heart for you to be able to bless those who persecute you. The very person who might be persecuting you might be your husband, your wife, your children. You might look at it that way because they are causing you pain they don't listen to you, they forget your anniversary, forget the things that matter to you, don't care. Or those who persecute you may be people in your office or people in your school. So as a Christian, in order to bless those who persecute you is almost an impossible task without the power of God. Do not think in your mind that you can train yourself, okay, you hit me, I bless you. No, The default action when someone hits you is to feel angry and offended and you automatically want to hit back. It is an act of God to basically cause you to want to change and not respond that way. Rejoice with those who rejoice genuinely. When they're happy, you're happy for them. How many of us, when other people are happy, you are not happy about it? You're jealous or envious about their joy. You want to poke Balloon and burst it. How many of us can mourn with those who mourn? In other words, we really feel sorry for them. Here's a question. When the when the bomber, when the sniper went into the, the place at New Zealand and started shooting all those Muslims in prayer, did you really mourn for them? Or was there a certain part of you, ah. No, the true part of us is that when even when your enemies who persecute you uh, go through grief, there's an image of God that is being destroyed, and that should cause us grief too. So do we rejoice in other people's suffering? No, the nature of sincere love is that it cares live in harmony with one another do not be proud, be willing to associate with people of low position I say this again because I want to admit and confess, we are a middle income, upper income church, Methodist churches in Malaysia, English speaking have always been seen as middle, upper income one of the primary remembrances I have when I ask our young fellas, not not here, but in in KL, boys brigade kids. I said, why don't you come to church? And the boys' response was, no lah, sir. Uh, we don't feel comfortable here. I said, why? They say everybody here got Rolls Royce, got BMW Seven Series, very rich. I come here, I feel as if I am not welcome. They look at me one kind. I don't speak English properly, broken English, and they look at me like I'm like dirt and so they don't come so how do we change that as Christians as members of our congregation do we reach out to those who are in a way in a lower position so I urge you to think about this in your community or contact how many people are you intentionally reaching out who are not in the same economic level as you in the same circle of uh, comfort as you are. And it has to be intentional. That's how a transformation occurs. Do you actively engage with those who are in a lower privileged income group than you are? For me, I do that when I go with the orang asli. For me, I do that when people come knocking at my gate and saying I I need money to go and get a a machine for my or my insulin jab, or I need medication and all that stuff. And as much as it's uncomfortable, I have to get out of my comfort zone and say, what is your need? Let me walk alongside with you. Do not be conceited. It's very hard. Even when we start considering you are in low position, that's already conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, this is greatly contradictory to our culture. You do evil to me, What's the culture? You do evil to me. I do it 10 times or 100 times worse. Recently in our own newspapers, somebody wants to blow up people, six incendiary uh, explosive devices, six automatic machine gun. Why? What they did to Adib, one guy. We want to blow up uh, uh, a non-Muslim place of worship. How many would you affect? Maybe hundreds, thousands because of one. Revenge, you do evil, I will do evil back to you and I will multiply. That is not the Christian way. I have to say this, not our way, not the way of Christ. We have to remember Christ on the cross said, forgive them, Father, they do not know what they are doing and He died for us while we were yet sinners. That requires a transformation of the mind. The true testimony of what it means to be a Christ follower is one who loves those who persecute them. And I met many of those who are from our majority race who have turned because they have encountered kindness even when persecuted. So, genuine love. we have this sincere love that is transparent that is real not fake genuine love then pours out all this bless don't curse uh live in harmony and do not repay evil with evil let me bring this uh, quickly to a close verse 18 if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone this is the last portion live at peace what does living at peace mean Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. Okay, so when you're angry and you feel that, God, this is so unrighteous, this is evil, how can these people do this, right? God says, leave it to him. Don't you dare decide because you don't see perfectly. And God has already forgiven them. If God has forgiven them and you, on the other hand, have not forgiven, you are trying to be greater than God. So God says, leave it to me, it is mine to avenge. And when God avenges and punishes, his punishment is far greater than what you can ever do. We just need to leave it into God's hands. So this is picture. You know, we're holding on to the vengeance card. I'm rightfully wronged. I want to execute vengeance myself. God says, no, it's mine. It is mine to avenge, not yours. And because of what God says this uh, in this last verse, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, I'd like you to remember this. Do not overcome or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, the act of seeking vengeance, to take revenge, to do that which is evil on others who have done evil to you, that is being overcome by evil you have been overcome, you've been overwhelmed, you've given in to uh, the ways of the world if you don't think it's the way of the world, why do we think we have a movie called Avengers? Revenge (laughs) you did that to me, I'm going to lop off your head why is it that every Chinese movie that we watch always has revenge as a motive it's a way of this world. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we go forward from here? Uh, I'm leaving you some of these thoughts. Offer our lives to be transformed. Uh, Be transformed in your minds by the Spirit in you. Do not be conformed to the way of this world. Uh, Think rightly about each other. And what that means is To remind each each other we need each other i really need my my colleagues you know in the office even the ones who are doing the things which people don't see they clean things up they unplug all the toilets and all that stuff we need each other so think rightly about each other do not think yourself higher you're just one component and this is what you're called to do thirdly love sincerely genuinely without vengeance don't put on a mask in other words be real who you are that also means confronting people and saying I am hurt I am angry this is what happened Okay, that sincerely but to be genuine is to love properly so read this and go back and read this chapter 12 what does it mean to be genuine in our love and without vengeance and over all of this overcome evil with good let's bow our heads in prayer